0: Uh, rejoining us today is Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Welcome back.
1: Hey, thanks. It's good to be back.
0: So we are reading um, that really pretty much all young adults. So here the the survey that we're talking about, um, they're surveying you know everybody in the population, but the the age groups that I really want to focus on is this sort of thirty eight and under. So I think we tend to think of millennials as young people. But really, we're talking about full grown adults now when we talk about millennials. And then when we talk about Gen Z, we are talking about very young adults. And so for uh, for this conversation, you know, we're looking at everybody 16 to 38, let's say, and 50 percent of that group has at least a somewhat favorable view of socialism and a somewhat negative view um, or disfavorable view of capitalism. So I want to have that conversation with you. Uh, today. First of all, remind us maybe of the difference between socialism and capitalism.
1: Well, socialism uh, t- uh, two things that I, the way I I define it. Number 1, socialism is primarily a godless system as opposed to capitalism being a god full system if I can put it that way. Uh because um in In capitalism, you have private property. you have the ability to uh, contract and do some other things that private parties can do and the scriptures often talk about uh, you know holding to contracts and re- and not stealing and respecting others property. whereas in socialism, a godless system, the only God in that system is the state. And whatever the state goes is or says is is what goes. And uh, you usually have just a a, really it becomes an oligarchy, maybe of 10, 15 people who really run the country and and set the moral and the ethical principles and the legal principles for the day. So socialism is primarily a godless system. And it is also a a system that uh, does not value freedom. And uh, this is where I think. Uh, socialism would have a hard time taking root here in the United States unless it's cast as something different, because of the hyper individualism that we have in our um, our nation today.
0: Right. I think that there are at least some people who completely misunderstand the term. I mean we had uh, we had somebody on national television come right out and say uh, recently to uh, to a senator who was describing Maduro as a socialist in this this uh, you know television. Personality person said ah, Maduro's not a socialist, well okay, Maduro is actually for those not paying attention uh, we 're talking here about South America and the devastation of socialism in many countries there Maduro is a socialist absolutely i did i mean that so so I think that when we talk about the term socialism, you know it 's important for people to recognize we're not talking about social media. We're not talking about social networks or social networking or the way you feel about your social life. We're actually talking about a really, and when we use the term "godless" here, we're we're not we're not just talking big G godless. We are actually talking about a system that views itself and the state as God, yep. as the highest yep. authority. Yep. And, and so that's important, I think, for people to understand and recognize. What does it say to you that emerging generations so misunderstand the history of what socialism has done um, to people, like through communist systems, um, that we would be at the place where we think we want it?
1: Uh, it? What it tells me is that, A, the enticement of socialism is still there. Uh, it's and and it it does sound kind of good on the face value, but when you dig into it, it doesn't work at all. And usually, millions of people get killed as a result of socialism and communism. B. It tells me what an absolutely poor job our public schools have done in teaching civics and teaching our system of government and why freedom is so important. And this is where this is where this whole concept of freedom, um, <clears throat> when carried out properly in a, in a society. Um, There are parts of it that become very, very messy, right? And to the point where uh, a lot of people believe that it's just unfair. And and the unfairness of it leads people to want to be more fair. And the more fair means we have to have more uh, government interaction and more government uh, takeover of certain industries and certain parts of our lives. It's because freedom is messy and socialism is not. But socialism will lead you to nothing but poverty and death. And mind control and a loss of religious freedoms, Uh, freedom, it does exactly the opposite. And uh, it's something that um, I value. I I wish our politicians in America would stand up and say, my number one goal is to protect your individual liberties rather than Mm. my number one goal is to make sure that um, we have income equality or something like that. I, I would prefer that they just focused on protecting our individual liberties.
0: So I think that, Bill, one of the challenges that we face is that the version of capitalism with which we now live is pretty corrupt and corrupted. And so when we come back, let's talk about redeeming capitalism. Let's talk about um, the way, you know, business would operate if God were really governing the lives of business owners, because that's really your sweet spot at com. So when we come back, I'm going to ask Bill English, what's God's purpose for business? And by extension right like commerce and trade and all that good stuff we we'll sure. right back be business, business, all right continuing my conversation with bill english from bibleandbusiness.com um let me let me uh, lift up a listener comment bill and then we're going to talk about um, really god's purpose for business as as we understand it from the bible and uh, so we have a listener who's concerned that uh, our characterization of capitalism as godful and socialism as godless was uh, too simplistic. And so let me encourage uh, Mark, who is concerned about that, to listen to my hour-long deep dive into the godless nature of socialism with Bruce Ashford, um, which was you know definitely at the 400 college-level uh, experience in terms of this conversation. So what Bill and I are trying to do today is react to a particular headline. And so uh, some things we have to simplify if those seem oversimplified to you. There are other conversations with other guests. Uh, I'm thinking here about my two conversations I've had on the book Redeeming Capitalism with a professor from, remind me where he was from, um, Ken Barnes, Oh, like Gordon Conwell. Yeah, all Gordon right? Conwell, so, yes. Yeah, so you can go back, Mark, and listen to the conversations that I have had with Professor uh, Ken Barnes about his book Redeeming Capitalism and the process by which that would happen, and then also lots of conversations with Bruce Ashford and others about the very godless nature of socialism. All right, continuing our conversation with Bill English, let's pick up with this question. What is God's purpose for business?
1: Well, I think at Bible and Business, that was the question I asked myself. Uh, when God plopped a business in my lap and I was going, why in the world, you know, why why do I do what I do? And I needed a purpose behind it. And I came up uh, after looking at the scriptures and praying really for several years that God has four purposes for business. One is profits and profits provide sustainability. The second one is products and, and business is meant to I give people a way to provide products and services that allow the community to flourish. Okay, the third one is people or passions. I'm trying to use a P word here and I go back and forth between people and passions. But business is a place for uh, people to develop their God given talents and to express their God given creativities in a righteous way. And then the fourth one is philanthropy. And the philanthropy is God create a business to create wealth, so that those who have more can give to those who have less, so that the less do not lack dignity and can and can participate fully in the life of the community and the church um, without having to have some kind of stigma attached to them that they have less than what the rich might have. So the rich, I think, in in this case, it becomes a moral stain. On the community to allow uh, the the poor to exist uh, without basic safety nets that only the rich can provide.
0: All right. So when we talk about, um, I, I just think that as soon as we use the word profit, there are people who uh, hear they're hearing something negative there. Right. They're hearing right, right. they're it's, hearing that some people are getting something and other people aren't getting something, and that doesn't sound like the way Jesus would do it.
1: But it's not a zero sum game. Capitalism is not a zero-sum game. It's not like if I make – if I sell you a glass of water that cost me a dollar to create and I sell it to you for three, it's not like I took $2 from somebody else other than you and it was a voluntary transaction. Uh, Capitalism is not a zero-sum game. And profits are good. Profits are a social good. Profits are a spiritual good. Profits are something that are absolutely necessary in order for businesses to sustain and thrive. If you don't have profits, you'll never have business. And frankly, you'll never have any kind of ministry because all nonprofits are, behind them are profitable businesses. The only place nonprofits, colleges, churches, the rest of them get their money is from profitable businesses. You don't have profitable businesses. You don't have those. You don't have a society. You don't have people working. Uh, profits are a good thing, not a bad thing.
0: So I think that when one of the things that we forget when we're engaged in this conversation and it gets kind of heated, it, you know, when somebody is, you know, arguing that everything ought to be fair and it ought to be everybody ought to, you know, have access to the same things and and ought to get the same things and everybody ought to certainly at least have the newest iPhone and uh, and five G uh, access and on and on and on and healthcare and a college education and probably a house. Um, What we're forgetting there are all of the ways in which God is described as a landowner who has expectations of production. He has day laborers. Um, He has... I mean, there are are all kinds of stories in Scripture where it sure does not sound like you just get everything by not working. What is God's... you know, in fact, in fact, I, this I have a, I have a potato example in my own family. A
1: potato so- example.
0: Well, because that's you know right we fa- we you know we had a little farm and oh, okay. so we yeah in fact it's Jim just said last night um, we in the next two days we got to get those sweet potatoes up out of the garden because we're gonna get a freeze on Thursday and well so today's Wednesday so I might be pulling sweet potatoes right after the show this morning just letting you know okay um but here's the here's the the, the potato story so uh, several years ago we actually let the kids plant whatever kind of potato they wanted and uh, and they each got their own row. So that was fun. But you had to weed your row over the summer. And let me tell you, some days you don't want to weed your row. You just don't. So Matthew resisted weeding his row for several days and therefore the weeds got really bad. And so, you know, the day came around where it was like you have to you have to hoe your row today. Like you have to weed your row. And he sat under a shade tree with his arms crossed, refusing to do it. And I said, dude, here's what you don't understand. Um, You know, God's really clear. The man who refuses to work doesn't eat. And he's just continued to sit there in a huff. And then that night at dinner and subsequently every other night at dinner, which is unusual for us. But we had potatoes, mashed potatoes, which is his favorite. And the bowl got passed right under his nose and he didn't get any. And let me tell you, that next Saturday, he was out there hoeing his row. Because you learn, right? You learn that if there is something that I want, I might have to work for it. And work is not a bad thing.
1: No, work is a good thing. It's a gift from God. So um yeah so I I I'd like to just rephrase this in terms of what is god's system of fairness because the american system of fairness I think is very different than God's system of fairness, right? And it's, we're almost up against the clock here, so I know we're not going to be able to dive into this. But what is God's system of fairness, and how can Christians tap into that and be content with how God defines fairness? I think of that of, of that parable where God paid the daily, where where the master paid the day laborers the same amount of money, whether they worked twelve hours or two hours, and and the scriptures apparently uh, said that that was very fair right?
0: So weird, right? Like, that's it, so weird.
1: It is so weird. To but, the way we think. But just like how God's system of justice is different than the American system of justice, I'm going to assert that God's system of fairness is different than the American system of fairness. And maybe, Carmen, this is something you and I can pick up next Wednesday.
0: <gasps> you got it. Next week's question. What is God's system of fairness? So there you go. That'll be our our weekend advance tease. Uh, you guys can check out what we're talking about and more about Bible and Business at BibleandBusiness.com. Bill English, thank you so much.
1: You bet. Have a good day. You
0: were not abstruse at all. Uh, no, abstruse. I was not. Abstruse. abstruse. I almost, abstruse. Said it wrong.
1: Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's all right. They, you know, it's a new word.
0: No. It's a new word. Working it out. It's, it's, Thanks, man. Right. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.